Well, I do appreciate the opportunity again to, to preach again, because it's not very often that we get a chance to, to preach, and then to do it back-to-back weeks takes a whole lot more preparation, I'll say that. Um, but I do appreciate it. I thank the pastor for the opportunity to allow us as elders to, to come and present the word. And it is honestly my sincere desire is that you know Christ more through the teachings and preachings that other people come in here, uh, the pastor brings in. Um, and so I, I really pray through the teaching and preaching today, too, that we will all draw closer to the Lord through that as well. And we're going to continue part two of our rebel on the run and not just another fish story. And that's, it's, this is more of the part two of it. And if you weren't here last week, the, my whole part one, I'm just going to just give a real quick brief synopsis of, of what was talking about last week. I think there's a whole lot more to this story. We hear it a lot as a kid. We hear it a lot in Sunday school when we're younger or Friday school if you're in the UAE or the Middle East. Uh, you hear a lot of these stories when you're younger and you kind of just surf over to talk about a fish, to talk about Joe and all this kind of stuff. And I think that's missing the, the boat, no, no pun intended. And so uh, we're going to run over just a few, uh, a few points and then we're going to get into the main body of it. So the first part we're going to do is uh, we're going to be, I call it reviewing the human way. And there's a play on words on each of these, so we're viewing the human way. Us is in our, our human nature. Jonah is looking, he's reviewing. What's my options? Uh, Jonah's thinking, my options are I can either do what God says to do the first time and just go do it, which hindsight is 20-20. We all say, yeah, Jonah should have just done that. But in a human way, we, from his perspective, he's thinking, you know, if you remember last week, I'll just, for those of you who weren't here, if you were, he, just refresh our memories. Nineveh is current day Mosul, Iraq. So you're asking somebody who's an Israelite or a Hebrew to go into Mosul, Iraq, which is like the ancestries or the great-great-great-grandparents of ISIS and the Taliban, and you're asking somebody from Israel to go there and tell them about the Lord. Okay, so I can understand a little more why he's like, I'm, I'm out of here. You can just judge him, just take care of him. So there's a little more understanding there. And so what he does is, as we kind of know the story, he goes and gets on a boat and he goes heading off towards uh, towards Tarshish. And so during this time, he is fighting, he's sleeping, he's thrown overboard, he's thrown into the water, and uh, he, tell, he, he never once in the whole first chapter prays. You'll see during the whole first chapter, the Lord talks to him, the sailors talk to their gods, the, tailor, the sailors eventually talk to the real God, and they convert, they say, hey, this is the real God. The only person in the whole first chapter that doesn't pray is Jonah, is the prophet. And so as, as we end up in, in chapter 1, and uh, <clears throat> we see that running from God, and it cost us. Uh, it, sometimes it cost us money. As, as Jonah said, he paid the fare and went down in, in, in chapter 1. It cost us safety. He was definitely not very safe out there on that, that boat in the storm that God had prepared for him. <clears throat> it can cost us health. Running from God can cost us our family. Running from God can cost us mental stability. It can cost us our testimony. It can cost also others around us something to lose, such as the sailors. They had to cast their merchandise, their wares, their cargo into the sea. So running from God doesn't just cost us. If we're resisting God, we have that delusion that we've been fed is that, oh, if my sin just hurts me. That's not true. Our sin will hurt those around us, those who we love, those who are friends, those who are our family. And we just want to believe, oh, it's just hurting me if I do. And you can fill in the blank, whatever, whatever that may be, that you're convinced that it's just hurting yourself because it hurts others as well. And so it costs us our testimony and we also causes others to lose things. Their ship needed repair, they lost their cargo. Imagine sailing and you show up and they're waiting to unload your ship and 
Oh, we had to throw it in the sea. And they're like, there's no storm. There, there was out there. You should have seen it. I imagine them trying to explain that story to the dock workers when they arrived there. It's like, there's no storm. We don't, what are you talking about? Oh, it was a huge storm. The ship was breaking up. It was pulling apart. We had to, and they tried to, I can see that would just be kind of an interesting story. So running from God, and when we run from God, if you're all said and done, whether you run for an hour, whether you run for a day, whether you run for a week, whatever length of time period, when you're done running from God, if you look around, you'll find that you have made zero distance progress. When you're all run, you can run until you're tired, you're worn out. When you're all standing, you look around, yep, God is still right there. The same way with Jonah. Jonah goes down into the Joppa, into the Joppa goes down in the ship, out on the, out on the sea, into the, into the water he goes, God's still there because he prepared the fish. And so... We make zero distance progress. We only become exhausted, and which is what happened to Jonah as well. And so uh, when God chastens us, do we respond by running harder, fighting more, being more resistant to the Lord, or do we repent? In Hebrews 12, 6, and 7, which I do have it here on the screen, in Hebrews 12, 6, and 7, it says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourges every son he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he of whom the father chasteneth not? We have kids, and they do something wrong. When I was a kid, I did stuff wrong. I know some of you may not believe that. I did stuff wrong as a kid. And my parents chastened me. They spanked me. I was in trouble for many things. And, but because of that, that's how they showed their love. As, as a kid, you don't understand that. You know, they always, this hurts me more than it does you, stuff that you didn't want your parents to say, like, don't say that, because you're not one getting spanked. You're not the one being disciplined. The person being disciplined doesn't feel very loved when they're being disciplined until you can look back years later and say, that changed me to be a better person. The chastening of the Lord always will make us a better person if we respond in the true way, in the way that the biblical way. Because it says, whom the Father chasteneth not. Because how in the world is God going to get our attention, show his love for us if he's like, hey, I'll let you do this. Oh, that's wrong. Do it anyway goes back to all these sins that cost us so many things, the safety, security, financial, friends, testimony. The Lord doesn't want that from us. He wants something better for us. He wanted something better for Jonah as well. So in, continuing, in finishing up the wrap-up here, um, when we're running from God, it seems that we never talk with or to God. We talk with ourselves, talk with our friends. I guarantee you, if we're running from God, the person with you at work doesn't have a good biblical answer. The guy beside you that you, you're, you're living next to, he's probably not going to offer too much sound advice if you're having family trouble, if you're having spiritual trouble. Funny, we never ask the Lord what the right answers are, or very seldomly do we ask the Lord of what those right answers might be the, to find ourselves back on a solid ground. And, but we do come up with our own ideas. And so, if you, right before moving to the second point, if, if we notice in the Word of God, we'll see that from the time of the Garden of Eden, Man has been running from God. If you look when Adam and Eve sinned, what did it say they do? They went and they hid themselves. They ran from them. They were hiding from God. And so from Adam and Eve all the way up through Jonah, and it continued on through then too. So, and we're doing the same thing today. So we can't say, oh, this is just a unique story. It's not. It's from Genesis to Revelation. Man is rebelling, resisting, running. And God's always right there. We just make ourselves tired. We, have no prog we don't make any distance progress from God by trying to run. So, in reviewing this, Jonah's options were either to follow and obey God, or he could run. Well, he chose to run. 
didn't make any progress. So going into, into chapter 2, we find that at the end of chapter 1, if you look at the last verse of chapter 1, says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so God's prepared it, and now he's got his attention. He never, I mentioned this last week, but he never intended to live. There's no point in this where God ever told him, hey, if you have them throw you overboard, I'll send a fish and that ancient form of Uber will come and transport you back to where you're supposed to go over to. So it's not a, a foregiven conclusion that you're going to live for this. He's just saying, I would rather die than tell the, of the Lord to the Ninevites. He would rather die. That's how prejudiced he was against these people. That he would rather die. But then God says, I, you didn't make any progress. He sends the fish, and the fish swallows him up. So in chapter 2, in verse 1, Jonah finally prays. If we look in the first verse of chapter 2, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the shul. I cried and heard my voice. So he doesn't pray through chapter 1. He gets swallowed by the fish, and now he realizes, I am in deep trouble. Things are not going very well here. A uh, little side note, I'm going to skirmish off here just for, just for a moment. There's been several accounts of people in the past of being swallowed by a whale or a large fish and, and living. And there's several documented. One of them's more recent. There's, a, there's some controversy around this. Not going to go into it. If you want to talk to me about it, there's a reason I believe this is pretty accurate. But uh, if you want to talk more about it, that's fine. It's, it's, it's not a story of a fish. It's not a story about a fish. But this is some documentation just to show what, what the Bible says is actually true. There was a whaling ship, East Star, or the Star of East. And it was in the vicinity of the Falkland Islands, and this is in 1891, searching for whales. And one morning, the lookout sighted a whale about three miles away from the starboard quarters. Two boats were manned. In a short time, one of the boats was near enough to enable the harpooner to send a spear into the whale, which proved to be an extremely large one. So it moves on. It says, as soon as the back showed above the surface of the water, the harpooner of the second boat drove another spear into him. And it says, and finally the whale swam away, dragging the two boats after him. And the whale arose to the surface and beat about with its tail in the midst of, in a, in a maddest fashion. The boats attempted to get beyond the reach of the animal, which with one of them succeeded, and the other vessel was less fortunate. The whale struck it, upset it, and the men were thrown into the water. And before the crew of the boats could uh, pick up the men of the other boat, one of the men drowned, and James Bartley had disappeared. When the whale became quiet from exhaustion, the waters were searched for, Bar for Brantley, but he could not be found. Under the impression that he had been struck by the whale's tail and sunk to the bottom, the survivors rowed back to the ship. So then it skips forward. It says they worked all day and all night on the thing. And in part of the night, the next morning, they resumed operations. And uh, it says in the afternoon, they were soon down to the stomach, which would be hoisted on the deck. And the workmen were started uh, laboring to clear it and, and fasten it with chains, discover something doubled up inside it gave spasmatic signs of life. The vast pouch was hoisted on the deck and cut open, and inside was found the missing sailor, doubled up and unconscious. He was laid out on the deck and treated with a bath of seawater, which soon revived him, but his mind was not clear. He was placed in the captain's quarters where he remained sick for weeks and a raving lunatic. 
He was carefully treated by the captain, the officers of the ship, and finally began to get uh, possession of his senses back. And says, by the end of the third week, he had finally recovered from the shock to resume his normal duties. So it's not uncommon and not unheard of that this is, there's other bits and pieces to it. There's lots of things on there. Like I said, it's kind of a controversial story that they've made it into. But this is pretty well documented. There's other stuff. Uh, he describes also just a little bit here. I'm going to read also about going into the whale. Because you've got to remember Jonah it looked like an average person. But then you got to remember when he comes out of the fish, which will be at the end of this chapter, this is what will happen here. It says, during his brief sojourn in the whale's belly, uh, Brantley's skin... Where it, where it was exposed to the action of the gastric juices underwent a striking change. His face and hands were bleached to a deadly whiteness. The skin was wrinkled, giving the man the appearance of having been parboiled. Brantley affirms that it would possibly have lived inside the house of the fish until he starved, for, um, for he lost his senses through the fright and lack of air. And not lack of air, I'm sorry, through fright and not the lack of air. So there was a frightful rushing sound when he was swallowed, he says, which he believed the beating of the whale's tail in the water, encompassed about him in fearful darkness. He said he felt himself slipping along a smooth passage for just a brief moment. Then a sensation, um, he felt him into a, fell into a larger room. He felt about him, and it finally dawned upon him that he had been swallowed by the whale. And he was overcome by horror at the situation. He could breathe, but the heat was terrible. Not in a scorching sense of the heat, he says, but it seemed to draw out his vitality. He became very weak and grew sick at the stomach. He knew that there was no hope of escape from this strange prison. Death stared him in the face, and he tried to look bravely upon it. But the awful quiet, fearful darkness, horrible knowledge of his environment, and terrible heat finally overcame him, and he fainted. So that's a story of, of Brantley, who in 1891 was swallowed by a whale uh, off the Falkland Islands. And so... It's, I say all that to say this, it's, it's not a story about a whale. The whale's only mentioned in three verses in the entire book of Jonah. It's a story about God. It's not a story about Jonah. It's not a story about the whale. It's a story about God and his faithfulness and his desire to see the best for us. So let's move on in, in, in chapter two a little bit further. We'll make a few references back to this. Because uh, Jonah kept going down. You remember he went down to Joppa, down into the ship, and down into the sea. And then... And, in, verse, in chapter 2, in verses uh, 3 and 4 here, it says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me with the waves, and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet shall I look again upon the holy temple. We'll just keep on going here. It says in verse 5, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. So he's down inside the darkness, there's weeds, there's roots, there's things around. He's got seaweed in his hair. He's got the algae. He's got other fish. Imagine inside that. I mean, there's not... We always kind of get um, the impression of the old Disney picture. I'm not sure if that's even the next one up there now. There's old, the old Disney picture of uh, someone sitting in a whale like Pinocchio or something, and there's light in there, and there's some fish, and a person's just sitting around relaxing and stuff. But it's... Uh, that's not what it was. If you get from Brantley, it was dark. It was claustrophobic. It was tight. It was, there was no room. It was hard to breathe. It was can't find comfort. He's going mentally crazy. He, he can't get out. He's, he's in a strange prison. And Jonah's kind of in the same thing. 
This second part of chapter is a very sombering thing, and I like to be lighthearted, and I like to be more comical and stuff, but it, this is very serious. It's, as I was reading through this, I'm thinking, man, Jonah was really, I never got the sensation as a kid. As a kid, you know, he's like, more interested in the fish story. But you realize he is trapped. He can't, you can't get you, you can't push your way, swim your way back out the whale's stomach. You can't get your way back up through there. You can't, you're just stuck there. And as you can see the acids are eating at your skin and your hair is falling out and you can't breathe, there's other decomposing, it's just, it's a rough, it's a rough situation around you. And so at this point, the belly of whale is utter darkness. It's confusion. It's restricted and confined. There's stomach acids. There's other rot, rotting food. It's a humid, thick air, and he's unable to get rest. That's a pretty strong prison. Now, our lives, sometimes we fail to focus ourselves on God. And I find myself, in this, we've, I find, I'll, I'll blame me, I'll, I'll use me as the guinea pig on this one. I find myself unable sometimes to purposely make time for God. And I'm like, why? Because he tries to get my attention every morning. When I get up, I have the same opportunity every morning when I get up to meet with the Lord, to have him direct my life. Remember the very first verse of the very first chapter in Jonah says the word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, the word of the Lord should be the first thing in each of our days. I said that last week, I say that again. But hopefully the Lord doesn't have to draw us into some type of a situation where the only place to turn is to the Lord. I want the Lord to be the head of my life, leading my day, leading my direction, guiding me for the people I should talk to and what I should say because I love him, because I want to serve him, because there's people out there that need to hear the message of Christ. And I just want to be open to the opportunities that are brought my way. Well, jo Jonah had the opportunity here, and he's, he's about to have a change of heart too. Let's continue on in, uh, in verse 7 and verse, to verse 8. We'll go 7 through 9. It says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to, to you and to your holy temple. Those who pray, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The verses that John was reading this morning out of Psalm uh, 34, there's uh, one of the, the places I was reading mentions that in at least six places, possibly like eight places in Jonah's prayer, he's quoting the Psalms. And some of that is out of, as you, if you remember what John was reading this morning, some of that came from Psalm 34. He is a prophet. He's a prophet of the Lord. He studied, he studied the scrolls. He studied in the synagogue. He studied the temples. He's, he's knowledgeable about what was written from the Word of God at this point. So he's, he's knowledgeable about the Psalms, and he's reverting back to the what he knows the most. When the Bible talks about train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Jonah's not departing from it. What does he know the most? He knows the scriptures. He's praying to the Lord. He's asking back, oh man, our salvation belongs to the Lord. He's quoting from the scriptures that he knew. He's quoting from the scrolls, we'll say, from the, that he had. And he's going back to the Lord saying, hey, it belongs to you. I'm, it's all up to you, Lord. So, and praying the Jonah way, hopefully we pray because we love the Lord. We're not forced to. I hope I am never in that kind of a situation. And that situation may not be inside a whale necessarily, but it may be in a situation where we have no other place, we're, we're confined to it, because we've been trying to run from God, resist God, flee from God. And Jonah's not making any progress from the Lord, and the Lord finally gets his attention here. So um, what idols are we holding on to? The things that are uh, substituting 
God in our life for, for pleasure, material, worldly things. And prayer is where we close the gap with God. And that's what Jonah did here. If we look in verse 10, verse 10 says, after Jonah does all this, and the Lord spake to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. You know, as a kid, like when your brother or sister kind of gets sick, and you're looking at them, and they get sick, and they throw up, and you're like so sick that you throw up, and it's like, ugh, it just makes a whole mess all over the place. The only thing probably worse than, than seeing someone throw up is probably being, being thrown up. Because <laughs> now he comes out, and like it was mentioned in, the, in the, the paper that I was reading, the acids have burned his skin. His, he's, he's discolored permanently. He's in a hair has been acid bleached out where he's probably head was against the side as he's trying to work and wiggle his way around. The hair burned off his arm, skin's discolored. Smelled wonderful. I'm sure he smelled great. But if somebody walks up to me and half their hair's bleached, their skin's all bleached out, half their hair's been acid eaten up, the person has seaweed stick on, they've, I mean, I know it took them a few, to, a week or two to get to, to Nineveh, but if a guy walks up to me looking like that and tells me to repent, I'm repenting. <laughs> I'm trusting it. I think you're right on there. So Jonah is, is uh, given the chance here as the Lord speaks to the fish and it vomits on dry land. Let's go straight into chapter 3. Because this goes into praying God's way. And we'll spend a little more time on this part. As this is where the rubber, he's had the change of heart. The rubber meets the road. It comes down to, in chapter 3 and verse 1, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. The message that I tell you. So this is remarkably, remarkably similar. In fact, it's the exact words he said in chapter 1. God just says it again. Okay, we did all these things. We're right back to where we started. Want to do it again? Which way do you want to go this time, Jonah? <laughs> there's Nineveh. There's, okay. Oh God. He has a second chance. Now, hopefully in our lives, we say all this. You know how you like to learn from your older brother's mistakes? If you had an older brother and he was always getting in trouble for something, you like to learn from mistakes. Or if, if you had a sibling that was always in trouble, you try to learn from what they did wrong. So, oh, I'm not going to make mom and dad mad like that. I'm going to do the right thing. Jonah has written a lot for us so that we don't do the same things. There's things in our lives that we, could, we can skip chapter 1 and chapter 2. Let's just go to chapter 3 with our life. The Lord tells us to do something. Let's just, let's just do it. And this sounds easy. It's simple. We're sitting here in a nice, air-conditioned, comfortable room. It's easy to do that. But even those hard things in life, if the Lord's leading... Remember when the, the disciples were in the boat? And Peter says, well, if that's you, bid me to come. Okay, Come. And Peter was walking on the water. That sounds like a hard thing to do. Imagine the first step when you're like, whoa, this is working. I'm walking on water. That's amazing. But then he started doubting, and as we know, he sank. But the first thing is, even the hard things, even the hard things in life, we have to be willing to take that step of faith, wherever it may be. Think of how we all got here. None of us are really here from everything going either great or everything was exactly how we planned in life. Probably none of us planned when we were 15 years old, if you're over 15 years old. There's some of you out there who aren't. For all of you adults, those of you over 15 years old, probably never said, I think I'll grow up, I'll move to Abu Dhabi, I'm going to work there in the desert, and I'm going to go to church with people from 20 different countries. There's probably nobody here that planned that. Probably not even pastor. So, we're all here for various different reasons, and here's where we need to follow the Lord's lead, continue following how the Lord leads us. So, and, um, in preaching God's way, the second chance 
is what was given. And this is where it really went to me, because there's, there's an old story of a, a fisherman. He's an old fisherman, been fishing for years through these little coves, and he's out early morning, always knows the good places where the fish are biting, and he's out there. And he's fishing one morning, and he hears a, a real small voice, and he says, hey, pick me up. He's looking around, he doesn't see anything, and a few seconds later he says, hey, pick me up. So he's looking around a little bit again, and pretty soon he sees a little frog that's swimming up to his boat. He looks at him, are you talking to me? And the frog goes, yeah, pick me up. This is a true story, in case you wanted to know. It's, okay, maybe not quite the reference. So he tells, the, he tells him, yeah, pick me up. If you pick me up and, and you kiss me, I'll become the most beautiful woman that you've ever seen. And the old fisherman looks at him, and he picks the frog up real gently. He looks at the frog, and he puts the frog in his pocket. And the frog goes, hey, didn't you hear what I just said? If you kiss me, I'll become the most beautiful woman you've ever seen. And the old, the old fisherman says, well, at my age, I'd rather have a talking frog. <laughs> he missed the point. That's what I think many people do with the story of Jonah. They miss the point. The point isn't so much of a whale, of Jonah running and fleeing and the ship and the storm and God calming everything and, and living in the fish and vomiting it up and all these things. The whole point of the story is God loves us too much to give up on us. He's not going to quit on you just because you say, oh, I'm not doing that. How many of us really, honestly, think about it, were you first presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ? That you said, yep, I believe that, I'm going to follow Christ. We're probably a little skeptical the first time. We probably sat back and thought, well, I'm not so sure about that story. I don't think about that. And you kept coming maybe to a Bible study or to a church service until you've heard it again and you looked into it a little bit yourself and you read a little bit, you talked to some friends. And over probably some time frame or some period of time, after hearing it and resisting it or not giving into it or not following what the Lord's calling, the Holy Spirit just tapping on your heart, trying to get your attention. Hey, this is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And finally, we said yes to the Lord Jesus Christ and asked him to be our savior. I think my wife might be the only person I know that's an exception to that rule, that she was presented with a clear presentation of the gospel and she was smart enough to say yes the first time. So, and that's good. But, so, let's, uh, let's move into the first, just according to do a first couple of verses in, in, in chapter three here. And so after the first two verses, when he's saying that um, he's given him a second chance, we can do away with the whale at this point, we can, and Jonah still plays a major point, but those are just supporting actors in this story. They're supporting cast. God is the center point of all of this, because he knows that this city was bad. I was talking with uh, Godfrey and John before service, and I was like, it's kind of like when you're a little kid, and your parent just says your name, and you just, what? I'm sorry. You're sorry? What are you sorry for? I didn't say you did anything. Oh, I, nothing. You, you know when you've been doing something wrong? You know, then you've been caught, and you're like, oh, instantly you're like, oh, what? Sorry, didn't mean to do that. Uh, really? It's kind of like Nineveh was probably the same way. Because he goes in there, and we'll see in the next couple of verses, um, and Nineveh just snaps up. Let's leave the verses and, and, and see what it says. So Jonah arose, this is verse 3 of chapter 3. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So he just tells him, 
a very simple thing. I guess in, the, in the, one of the places that in Hebrew it's only five words. He tells him five words. He does, remember, he still doesn't really like these people. He just doesn't like the whale anymore. He likes these people. But he, he's doing what the Lord tells him. And he says, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. That's all he says. God told me to say this. I'm going to say it. He says it one time. I'm good. Never says he says it again. I know there's a lot of leeway for him. Did he continue to say this as he went around the city? All this kind of stuff. A lot of different things. But he, he's still not a big fan of these people. And so... He's preaching to the people. He tells them the message God needs to tell them. And God is the main point of this because they believe him. They realize probably the word gets up to the king. If we'll go to the next verse, I'm sorry. It says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They didn't believe Jonah. They believed God. They didn't believe the person. They believed God. Because if this is the message the Lord has sent me, repent or it's going to be overthrown. They realized that they had been doing all these bad things. Remember last week I mentioned some of the stuff, but again, because of kids here, I'm not going to go into detail. The city was really, really bad. If you want to know how bad they were, you can talk to me afterwards. They were really bad. Think of some of the worst war stories you've heard. Their city would take the cake for just about every one of them. And so they've been presented a message from God saying, hey, you guys have been really bad. Knock it off. Kind of like, hey, Brian, what? I'm sorry. God's telling them, hey, Nineveh, no, oh, what, sorry, yeah, what, I didn't say what you did, yeah, it's just 40 days and you're overthrown. They turn, they turn from their wicked ways. The message, if you, it's, I'm not going to be on the screen because I didn't go that far, but the very next verse says, and the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. So he realized right away that God's judgment's finally coming our way. He realizes that they are in big trouble. Jonah preaches to the people, but God reaches the people. Jonah chose to reach the people, or God chose to reach the people through Jonah, a flawed person like Jonah. And if the whole city of, of Nineveh repents because of a person no greater than Jonah, with no bigger of a message than Jonah preached, how much better could a people, a nation, a group be led to Christ if someone with a compassion that hopefully we have and a message that would be, present, be able to present to them in a more clear fashion than like Abu Dhabi or Dubai or a region around it. Maybe it's just your neighborhood. If you could present them, if there's, I've been had multiple opportunities of neighbors just curious, asking, even people at work, local people who even asking. And if they're curious enough to ask, I just tell them. Couple people at work. I'm surprised at how much they really are interested in what I. I told one of them I was preaching last week. He's like, "That's great." I was like, "Okay, great." It's kind of hoping to show up, but hey, that's fine. So, um, I. Uh, I can see. God reaching out to the people through the very. Least willing prophet with the shortest message, but the people believed God, and that's what's it. If you present the gospel. The, top, the third, third point here is preaching God's way. It's the gospel that changes people's lives. It's not stories. It's not a bunch of uh, little sayings. It's not a bunch of cliches or anything. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that changes our lives. And we just need to deliver a clear message, not taking credit for any outcome, but not taking any blame for any failure. We're just a delivery boy. When my brother was younger, he had a paper route. 
and a delivery boy. In the United States, you'd get newspapers and stuff, and you'd ride around the neighborhood on a bicycle or walk, and you'd just throw the newspapers to the people who ordered the newspaper. And he broke his leg one summer, and so my dad and I kind of helped deliver the paper for him during that time. And being in northern Ohio, which is one of the central states, kind of northeast central, but um, I was a big Cleveland Indians fan. If anybody knows my past, I, I liked baseball a lot. I was American baseball. I was a big, big, big Cleveland Indians fan. I, everything I did revolved kind of around the Cleveland Indians when I was really young. And so one day I remember I was just delivering the newspaper, and one of the guys came out, and he says, there better be good news in that paper. And I said, so first thing I thought of was baseball. I said, well, the Indians beat the Yankees last night. And the guy goes, what if I'm a Yankees fan? I just said, don't read the sports section. <laughs> so I'm just the delivery boy. Don't, don't, don't beat me up over something like that. So um, we're, same with us delivering the gospel. Just as I was just there delivering the paper, you know, this is the news. You can take it or leave it. This is the news. This is the gospel. The person can take it or leave it. Our job is just to present them with the gospel. There's some people that will never hear it if you don't tell them. You can see it in this country. There's people here who may go back to their home country. They may never hear a true, clear presentation of Jesus Christ unless we tell them. And in closing, uh, there's a, a few points in closing I want to make. And it says that um, the Bible isn't a collection of stories from Genesis to Revelation. It's one story. And it's not a bunch of heroes in the Bible. There's one hero, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's the person that we need to know intimately and personally is Jesus Christ. If, um, yeah, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to, to Romans. There's a few verses in closing. In Romans chapter 5, using Emily's Bible here, so I'm not as familiar with it with me. There's a few verses we have here. Romans 5 and, and verse 8. It says this, I think this is also on the screen, I believe. It says, but God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, God loved us so much, even when we're sinners, just as Nineveh was still a sinning city, he still loved Nineveh so much that he wanted to send a witness to them saying, hey, you guys need to repent. 40 days, you've got 40 days. That's actually a little bit of good news. They knew there was still time. The good news is, is we're still here. There's still time. Maybe a family member, maybe a loved one, maybe a friend you grew up with, maybe a neighbor next to you that you've become good friends with. There's still hope. There's still a chance. They're still sinners, but God loves them so much. While we're still sinners, we don't have to clean our life up to come to know to God. Oh, you don't know all the bad things I've done. No, we don't have to clean our life up. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. He sent his son to die for us. Look over in, uh, if you have your Bible still, just flip over probably the next page in Romans uh, in 6 and 23. It talks about, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't cost us anything. Remember when Jonah was running from God? It says he paid the fares and went on a ship. He was paying his own money to run from God. To go to God, it says it's a free gift. Big difference. You can, either you can pay your own money to be away from God or you can accept the free gift of God. And that's what's offered here. As Paul goes on through, through Romans, uh, one last one, and, and I have a, a closing point. In, in Romans chapter 10, in verse 9 and 10, a very clear understanding of the gospel is this. In Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, if you have your Bible, it says, 
For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. I think I read 10 and 11 actually there. Oh, it says verse 9, I'm sorry. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's going back to verse 9. So that's, that is, the, in a nutshell, that's the gospel. In a nutshell, that is what the people need to know. And in, in, the, in the long run, all we need to do is to present the gospel to the people. They just need to know that there's a savior out there that loves them. He's not demanding of them all your money. He's not demanding of them to do certain things. While they're still sinners, he loves them. While we were still sinners, he loved us. He came to me, he came to you, he came to who, if you, if you know for sure that Christ is your savior, you were a sinner when he came to you. We're still sinners, we're now we're forgiven. There's a, a good comparison that uh, Mark Driscoll put up on his, on his site of, uh, between Jonah and Jesus and uh, it says this, it says, Jonah was a sinner, Jesus is the Savior. Jonah cried out to the Lord, Jesus came as Lord. Jonah spent three days and nights in a fish for his own sins. Jesus spent three days and nights in a grave for our sins. I know that's kind of small, but if, you, if you're way back there, you're going to have a hard time seeing that. Jonah ran from the will of God. Jesus remained in the will of God. Jonah met with God unwillingly. Jesus met with God continually. Jonah wrestled with God inside a fish. Jesus wrestled with God in the garden. Jonah was punished for his sins. Jesus was punished for our sins. Jonah wanted his enemies condemned. Jesus came that his enemies might be saved. Jonah thought that he was better than the others. Jesus alone is better than all others. Jonah prayed to God, the Savior. Jesus came as God and Jonah's Savior. And the last one is, Jonah came forth from his burial to proclaim God. Jesus came forth from his burial to prove he is God. Jesus came forth. He rose again. The only God that's ever done that, the only one who ever will do that, and he wants to come as, and he came as our Savior. He is the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. We're not trying to present some other gospel. We're trying to present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our, in our closing today, if, if we would, if we'd have just have every head bowed, every eye closed, as we're going to close out in a word of prayer. I'd just like everybody to, just to, to think inside. of every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to say that we presented the, the gospel, whether it's pastor, whether it's some of the missionaries, whether it's some of the people who come and are guest preachers and speakers. And when you may have sat through some discipleship classes. You may have sat through some classes on um, church membership and stuff or baptism. These aren't the things that save us. What saves us is what we just read out of Romans if you confess, if you ask the Lord Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask, I'm not going to call anybody by name. I'm not going to point out anybody. I'm not going to come back. I'm not going to bring any microphones. I'm not going to do anything. If you're serious, if you're not 100% sure that you're saved, if you're not 100% convinced that you're a Christian, that you die today, that you'd go to heaven, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not asking, I'm not going to mention anybody or anything. Just look at me is all I'm going to ask. 
So with everybody's head bowed, every eye closed, if you're serious, if you just say, Brian, I just want you to pray for me. I'm not going to mention it to anybody else. I just want you to look up and make eye contact and you can put your head back down. Yes, I see that. Anybody else? Just look at me real quick. Yes, you can put your head back down. Anybody else? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to say anything. I just want to pray that you will find Christ that you're looking for. Anybody else? Just look at me, make eye contact, and you can look back down. Yes, I see that one. All right. Well, let's close in prayer. Lord, I come to you now, and I thank you for Jonah's testimony, his message. I thank you for what he said and the lessons that we can learn so that we don't run from you, so we don't flee from your presence. We don't try to get away from you when there's so many people that hear the message from you. Lord, I don't take any credit in anything that's said or done or anything that's, that's presented here, Lord, but I want Christ to be glorified. Just as we, we want our lives to count for the Lord, we want these people's lives to count for the Lord. There's people here searching, there's people here that are wanting to know you more, Lord. I pray before the, the day is over, they may seek out one of the ministry team leaders, myself, maybe Ray, if they're comfortable talking to one of us, they would just come talk to us. We're not going to try to convince them about some church membership or what an affiliation believes. We want to show them what the Word of God says, that they can know that they have eternal life. Lord, I pray that you would receive the glory through this, through our response. May it be honoring and glorying to you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.